Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our city campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. All right, can you hear me, everyone? Good morning. So good to have you here on the uh, first weekend in November. Time is flying. Thanks so much uh, for those who, well, it was good. We had a great weekend last, uh, last weekend, and uh, I trust that you rock up here on Sunday ready to worship and only to be disappointed uh, with us not being uh, here. We did have a, a wonderful time. Um, it was great to have Dan and Steph Sweetman with us. Uh, sharing and speaking uh, into our hearts from Psalm 23. And uh, as always with these times, just the, uh, the great joy for me was actually the opportunities to pray for one another, just significant ministry and blessing together, uh, and for deep and rich community through connection, through conversations. And so uh, Megan has prophetically said that we are doing it again next year. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, uh, so um, look, keep an eye out for dates, I suppose, uh, for next. So we're, we're going to find some dates uh, for next year. So, uh, looking forward uh, to that. Thanks for those who uh, who weren't there. Uh, thanks to those who were there, and uh, and look forward to seeing more of you there next year. Hey, we are, and it was there's a kind of a segue in because uh, Dan and Steph did speak on Psalm. 23, and we are diving in over the next four weeks on a character study on the author of that psalm. Uh, this time of year, often we do, as we lead into Christmas, we, we jump into a, a, a book of the Bible which speaks about someone's uh, uh, char- a character of the Bible. And um, this is, uh, I guess we'll be journeying through First and Second Samuel over the next four weeks, not the entire books, not the entire history, uh, but we are going to be looking at some of the key moments of the person of David or King David. And uh, one, of the, one of the great joys when you dive in and you look at the, the, some character, when you look at people in the Bible, I think sometimes we make the, the error and hopefully this does come out over the series, we make the error of lauding and upholding characters in the Bible more than they should, or even more that the authors intended them to be. One of the beauties I love of the Bible is actually that they paint people in reality. And uh, David is one of those people who has some wonderful uh, or good characteristics about who he is. But, you know, he also, he made some terrible decisions. And uh, we're going to be looking at a number of both the good, the bad and the ugly uh, of David over the next four weeks. And I trust that as we do, uh, that you'll be encouraged uh, and that you'll be able to glean some things um, that... Uh, God can uh, work in your life in a new way. And so we're going to start out uh, by uh, uh, looking at the beginning of his story where we first meet David. And it's in uh, the first book of Samuel. 
uh, in the Old Testament. So if you have your Bibles with you, uh, why don't you open up to 1 Samuel chapter 16. Uh, the words will be on the screen behind me as well, if you don't. But why don't you, uh, if you've got a Bible on your digital device or the paper version, uh, then open that up to 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 1 to 13. We're going to be reading. And let's read this together. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. Doesn't tell him which son, which I find is interesting, just one of his sons. But Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. The Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, Do you come in peace? You've got to remember that Samuel is the priest and the prophet and the judge of Israel at that time. So if you've got the priest and the judge knock, rocking up at your door, you can understand why saying, are you coming in peace, or are you here to judge and condemn us? And Samuel replied, yes, in peace, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel, but Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, Nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, The Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, he said, Hey, Jesse, I know we've had seven. Is there, is there, is there any others? You got any other sons? And Jesse answered, um, no, what now? Is it, is it, uh, there, there is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance. He must have been using oil of a lamb or something, you know, doTERRA, and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. And Samuel then went to Ramah. I remember viscerally, uh, it, was the, it was about this time of the year, uh, just, just a few years ago when I was at the end of grade 11. And... Um, Five six years ago, and uh, and uh, I remember sitting uh, in a room about this size. It was a chapel service. I went to a Christian school, and they had chapel services. And it was the end of grade eleven, coming to the end, and um, 
And so we're all sitting there, and as we did, we probably had some worship. And then the principal got up, said a few things, and then prayed. And as soon as he finished praying, he then began to announce the, 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 the school leadership for the next year. And, uh, and it, it was almost like he just prayed and then just started to call out names of all those who were appointed into leadership for the coming year, for grade 12. And uh, all I remember, I was still, I was sitting, I was up the back, I remember I was up the back somewhere and I was probably daydreaming um, through the prayer, uh, being distracted, you know, as, as a young boy, a guy, teenager, there's, there's many other things to distract your mind. And all I remember is this, Asher House, Andrew Circum. And I, I, I was, it was like I looked around, I was, I was still kind of, kind of waking up from the prayer, and I was going, say what? My name? My name's been read out, Asher House? What in the world? Now, you've got to understand, I, I did not think in any way that I, would, I, I had any leadership potential in the school. I mean, I was one of those shy kids. I didn't stand out. I never won any awards, you know, at, a, at those final kind of celebrations that, you know, parents dread around this time of year. You know, they go on for four hours and everyone gets an award. I was one of those guys who never got an award. I was unremarkable in every way. I did not have leadership stamped on my life. And so I was not expecting to be in any kind of leadership position and certainly not in, a, as a, in a, the capacity of sport. I mean, you've got to understand, my nickname was Chum. So chumpy you can carve it. Now, I was short, I was kind of fat, I was in no sports teams. Like I, the only, I wasn't in the athletics team, I wasn't in the swimming team, I wasn't in the basketball team, which was, that was, if, you know, if you were cool, you played basketball. And, uh, and I was too short to play basketball. I was just going through my growth spurt really late. So the only thing I could do was play cricket. And, uh, and I enjoyed playing cricket, but cricket wasn't really big. It was kind of like there was only about 11 people in the whole grade who were interested in playing cricket, so you made the team. Uh, that, that's pretty much uh, how it went. So I, I was unremarkable in, in leadership, and I certainly wasn't uh, anyone to, that was kind of sh a shining light in regards to sport. And so when my name was read out to be a sports captain, it was like, what? Why me? And I remember sitting there in shock for the rest of chapel going, why, why in the world have I been given a leadership position and why me? Why sport? And just to make it worse, as soon as chapel finished, everybody came up to me and said, why you? <laughs> There are a whole bunch of guys in my, in my class, in, my, in my, my house, who were way better at sport, way more popular, way better looking, who didn't get the gig, and they were furious. And they were saying, why you? Why you? You know, there is something about the words that we speak over our life. There is something about the words that others speak over our lives they go very deep. And that almost, inv we, we invalidate ourselves before the Lord, before authority has a chance to speak into our hearts. And we see here in this, this story of David as, as the journey begins in his story that 
I get ima- I mean, the reality was that he'd be standing there going, why me? I mean, there's at least seven brothers ahead of me, and my dad didn't even think of me. He would have felt completely invalid in leadership or in call. We see here, uh, and it's quite stark, isn't it, that the narrative is around outward appearance. Outward appearance. You know, we are by nature, I think, naturally drawn to look at outward appearance. We know this, right? I mean, we live in an age where image is everything. Everything is curated in social media. Everything's curated through the different uh, forms of media that we receive that says image is everything. And so we can fall into this trap as we we perceive and we look at, at other people and how they're presented through the, the different ways in which we encounter people and encounter the world that actually creates in us a sense of inadequacy. Comparison, therefore, is rife in our age. We compare ourselves on a whole range of ways to see whether we're actually worthy, to see whether we actually measure up. We ask the questions, uh, are we beautiful? Are we successful? Are we, are, are we accepted into community? And particularly over in this age of social media, we try and present ourselves in a way, we curate ourselves because that's what we're invited into as individual selves. We curate ourselves to try and be acceptable. But the irony is, it's almost the more that we have, the more that we curate, the more that we obtain, the seemingly less happy we become. It doesn't matter how hard you work, there is always someone doing it a little better than you. Image is everything in our age today, but when we look back and we can see here that image was everything back then too. There's something very human about it. You see, Israel... And there's a context that's going on in this passage. Israel was obsessed with image. It was obsessed with finding that person or those people that could lead them into glory. And so there's a context going on for Samuel particularly and for Saul. So to to give a bit of a backstory, Saul was the first king of Israel. The people of Israel had gone to Samuel, who was there, as I said, their their priest and their their prophet and their judge, and they'd said, Samuel, we want to be like the other nations. We want to have a king to lead us just like the other nations have. And this was a devastating blow. Devastating to Samuel, devastating to the Lord. This was tantamount, or this, this was like the people of Israel going again and building a golden calf and saying, we don't want you, God, anymore. We want something else. It was idolatry. They come to a place of idolizing leadership and a person to lead them, and in grief and in disdain and with great warning, the Lord allows the people of Israel to have a king. He relinquishes his own reign over the people of Israel. 
And so Saul becomes king. But it's really interesting how they go through the selection process, what, why he is selected. And it's clear that when Saul is collected, there are some things about Saul that are actually attractive. We read in 1 Samuel chapter 10, verses 23 and 24, They, the people, ran out and brought him, Saul, out. As he stood among the people, he was a head taller than any of the others. Samuel said to all the people, Do you see the men the Lord has chosen? There is no one like him among all the people. Then the people shouted, This dude looks amazing. He's a head taller than everybody else. He looks like a leader. He's the firstborn. Long live our king. He looks like a leader. He's got all the appearance of a leader. We're going to throw our future behind him. You know, there is something about us that longs to look to those who stand head and shoulders above the rest. You know, even in our, uh, in, in our world today, maybe less so politically, and particularly in Australia, and maybe in other, other nations might be a little bit different, but in Australia, we tend to be a little bit of a cynical mob, sarcastic mob. There's a, there's a lot of distrust for, for politicians and for leaders today. I still think there's a yearning in the heart. So, so what do we look for? What are, what, who are the people? Well, it's sport, isn't it? You know, sport is, is one of those great hopes. And, and I think there's something that we look to. I, I've been um, interesting, uh, I've enjoyed watching the, the, the leadership or the coaching of a guy called Ange Postacoglu. Any heard of Ange Postacoglu? He's, uh, he's the first Australian coach of a Premier League side uh, in the UK. And uh, he has become the coach of Tottenham, Tottenham Hotspur, which is quite a large club, a London club. And no one gave him really much hope. You know, they lost their best player and Ange came in as a bit of a nobody in Australia. You know, the English say, you know, how can an Australian teach us how to play soccer? You know, that tends to be their posture. And he's come in and he has radically turned around that club. And they're currently sitting on top of the table. But what's really interesting as I've been watching, watching this is just the idolization and the worship of Ange. And you go look at it on YouTube, whenever they win a match, particularly at home, uh, at their home ground, they have songs that they sing about Ange as he walks around the stadium. It's like insane. It's like no one can live with that kind of mantle. That's what we do. We, we, we live and we look for leaders. We look for people who will stand head and shoulders above the rest. And we have a paradigm. We have a way of seeing. And we wrap our lives in that paradigm, in that story. And so you can imagine when Samuel comes, when, when the Lord says, Samuel, I've rejected Saul it's time to start over again and find a new king. Samuel has got that story in his mind. He's seen what ha what's happened, how they chose Saul. And so he's going off to, to Bethlehem to see Jesse with the same mindset. And we see in verse 6, the eldest, the firstborn. Now, the firstborn was, you know, was, was throughout the Old Testament. The firstborn was kind of like the upheld one. And so when, when Eliab is brought before Samuel... You see, Samuel say to himself, he thinks, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. Surely, look at him. Firstborn, he's got to be the one. Because that's the way in which 
he understood and saw the world. It's how we often see the world, looking at the surface level, looking at the appearance. And this is what the Lord says in response. He says, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. See, the Lord says, I'm, I'm, I'm looking for something else. I'm looking for somebody else. I'm not looking at outward appearance. And so they work their way through the seven. As we, as we read, we see David brought out from the field. I mean, it's, it's, you can imagine how David would have psychologically dealt with this. I mean, David did not fit the bill. He did not fit the bill for a leader. He was, he was the runt of the family. Not even thought of. I mean, Jesse's thinking, it can't be that kid that I've sent out to, to look after the sheep. Smelly old, little old David. I, you know, I am so certain it's not David that I'm not even going to bother to bring him in. He's not even on the list. He's missed the list. Can you imagine David would have grown up psychologically, emotionally with that. That would have worked, and we see it. We actually see it. We're going to see this next week as, as we journey in his story. He was the one put down. He was the loser. He was the youngest. He was the one picked on. He's the one who got all the dirty jobs. He was the one out in the paddock looking after the smelly sheep. David did not, by all appearances, fit the bill. I don't know what his narrative was is in his head, but I, I wonder whether sometimes we have those same narratives in our head. I don't fit the bill. See, we live with the same expectations of what it means to be acceptable. We live with these same expectations about what it means to be successful. And with all the messages, particularly in our age and our time, for many of us, it doesn't matter what you've achieved or what you've done, you live under the sense of disappointment and disqualification. I'm not physically attractive enough. I'm too short, I'm too tall, I'm too big, I'm too small. I'm not smart enough, I'm not sharp enough. We disqualify ourselves because we haven't achieved and we're not popular. We're overlooked for those, those jobs. We're overlooked for promotion, just like David, not even thought of, left out in the paddock. Perhaps we don't receive, we don't live under the affirmation of others, people's affirmation. In fact, it's the other way around. It's the words of parents, of siblings, words of family and friends that may go back 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years that have spoken over your life and you've lived under that. And you've disqualified yourself. And so what you do is you live with words and these words become your words. You speak Words of disqualification. There's personal loathing. There is shame. There is disappointment that sits deeply embedded into your narrative. And David, David could have lived with that narrative. 
deeply embedded into his spirit from a very young age. But there is good news. There is good news for David. And ultimately, there's good news for us. Why? Because God looks at us differently. God sees us differently. And David radically understood this. And we see this as he becomes a songwriter. And we're going to explore and we're going to throw in a whole bunch of psalms because he wrote a whole bunch of them um, throughout his life. And they speak to his understanding of who God is. And they speak to his understanding of who is before God. In Psalm 139, he articulates and he speaks about this God who sees him and sees us very differently. Psalm 139, one of the most beautiful Psalms. Verse 1 and 2, he writes, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. Verse 13, he goes on, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was, was never hidden from you. When I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. David says, God saw me, God sees us before even formed in the womb. He saw you, he sees you, he knows you. God is a God who sees you. David celebrates this and says, I am seen. I'm seen by the God of the universe. More than that, he sees me and he sees my heart. Psalm, uh, verses 23 and 24, he says, Search me, God, and, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Not only does God see us from before we were created, but he sees us as people. He sees our hearts. He sees your heart. He sees your will. He sees your longings. He sees your motives. He sees you at your lowest point in your brokenness and your pain. He hears your prayers. God sees your heart and he discerns your heart. He discerns your heart. He knows your will. And we see this scattered throughout uh, the Bible with, with, with this use of the word heart, will, motive. Proverbs 21, verse 2, a person may think their own ways are right, but the Lord weighs their heart. Jeremiah 17, 10, I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, uh, conduct according to what their deeds deserve. And then Jesus in the New Testament as he stands and gives the great sermon on the mount in Matthew, we read in Matthew 5, blessed are the what? The pure in Heart, for they will what? They will see God. God sees our heart. He discerns our heart. And when our hearts are pure and for him, we get to see him. And then Peter says in Acts chapter 15, God who knows the heart. God who knows the heart showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. 
It's an important point. I'm going to kind of come back to that in a moment. But what we see here is David. David has this radical understanding that God sees him, God sees his heart, and God discerns his heart. And this is really important because as God says to Samuel, as all the sons are lined up, he says to Samuel's heart, he says, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at your heart. And God is looking for hearts that long for him. And that's why David fit the bill, fits the bill. Because we see that David is, maybe you've heard this line, David is a man after God's own heart. David's heart is after God's heart. And we read in 1 Samuel 13, before we even meet David, as we see everything falling to pieces with Saul, that God, God says, I'm after someone else. In 1 Samuel 13, verse 14, the Lord says, But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people. So he's sought out a man after his own heart and he has, in the future, appointed him ruler of his people. There's a man after God's own heart. I've I'm I'm, found this person and he and he is appointed. David is a man after God's own heart. That concept is wonderful and scary in the same breath, isn't it? Because let's be honest, as I'm saying, as I'm standing here saying, you know, God discerns and sees our heart, he weighs our heart. We're sitting here going, that's a little scary. Maybe you're even sitting here right now going, How's my heart? You're doing a health check right now. You're doing a heart check. How's my spiritual heart? Because let's be honest, all our hearts are a little bit faulty. They're, they're, they're all a little bit funky. They've, they've got some bad things about them. Come on, let's be honest. Let's just have a moment of honesty here. Our wills and our desires and our motives are not always pure. And God sees our heart. scary but there's good news for us there's good news in the story of David and you're going to learn this because David was a man after God's own heart but David was a guy who stuffed up royally and he failed I'm sure worse than all of us here but I'm not completely sure because I don't know each of you but he (laughs) But he did some pretty bad things. We fail. David failed. We fail. Our hearts are misaligned. Our hearts are broken. But here's the good news. The good news is that even when our hearts fail, there is one who is stronger than our heart. There is one who is greater than our heart. David had this wonderful understanding, I think a prophetic understanding of the nature and the character of God. We're going to learn that in the coming weeks. But as you read his songs and his poems, the way that he talks to God as a God who is a God of forgiveness and compassion, a covenantal God who forgives, 
he had this prophetic understanding of the nature and the character of God that we get to see in the person of Jesus Christ. See, we have an assurance, we have a hope that God has made a way even though our hearts fail, his heart hasn't. His heart hasn't for us. And he showed us his heart by stepping down from heaven to earth and living the person of Jesus Christ, dying for us, overcoming sin and death for us in order that our hearts may be made clean. We celebrate it here at communion. That's what we did. We took hold of the truth that we are forgiven, we are free, not because of our own works or our own goodness, but because of what Jesus has done for us at the cross, his death and his resurrection, overcoming sin and death in order that we may find strength in him. And so John, in uh, 1 John, spills out this wonderful truth of the gospel and says, it doesn't matter how weak you are and how weak your heart is, God is stronger. Verse 19, we read, this is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. Do some of you just want a rest in his presence this morning? Your heart's just longing for peace in his presence this morning. We can hold on to this truth. Get hold of this. If our hearts condemn us, and they do, we know that God is greater than our hearts. And he knows everything. You see, he can hear the narrative of David, Psalm 139, being recited. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. John is saying because of what Christ has done, he is stronger than your hearts. You are forgiven and you are free and you can come into the presence of God with confidence because what Jesus has done for you and you can get on with the business of what God has called you to do with clarity and confidence, not living under the curse of shame, not living under the words that have been spoken over you, not living under, under the sense of inadequacy because of all the things that you may feel walking and living within your family or within your university, within your school, within your workplace. You are set free from that, people. You've been given a task. God loves you. He's set you free. Go and live in the confidence and purpose that God has for you without living a life of comparison and shame. Sets us free. It sets us free. And it's all through the work of Jesus Christ. And David gets this. He received this in this profound moment. Now, I need a caution here. The danger is, as we, we, we do this, as we take an Old Testament character and we say, that's me. Now, we're all different. We don't, we don't take and write, you just need to go and be your David and be a king. No, 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 David's story David, is David's story, but we take some of the principles and we apply it to our own life, drenched in the truth of Jesus who fulfills all the archetypes within the Old Testament. 
We walk and we live in the truth of Jesus Christ. And through Jesus, through Jesus we just read, we have been anointed. In Christ, we are anointed and we are appointed. We see it in David. We see this, this ram's horn. God says to Samuel, grab a ram's horn. Now, a ram's horn is not, it's not small. We've got a picture here. That's, yep, there we go. Fill that with oil. I mean, this is not like, you know, the, maybe, maybe, maybe you've experienced an anointing before in church. And it's like a little dab of, you know, kind of olive oil or whatever it is. Now, this is a drenching. You see, you'd imagine this moment where David is standing in front of his brothers, completely like, what in the world is going on? I'm not quite sure what his brothers were thinking, probably enraged. And Samuel, the prophet, the priest, and the judge pours out oil, drenching him. He's anointed. He's anointed for the task of being king. And what's interesting is we read, we see that once he is anointed, he is then filled with the Holy Spirit. We see that the Spirit comes upon David powerfully. Now, in the Old Testament, the Spirit was given and came upon people at particular times, particular places, for particular purposes. That is how the Spirit came upon in these days. After Christ, as we've read, the Spirit of God comes upon all who are in Christ. Every one of us here who are in Christ are anointed. We are anointed with the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit in us. It's the power of Christ in us. God has, if you are a Christian here today, if you have received Christ into your life, if you made Jesus Lord, you said, I'm surrendering myself. I'm bowing the knee. I'm not going to be king of my own life. I'm making Jesus king. You receive him in. You receive the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. You have access. Sometimes we don't know it and we don't live it, but we have access to the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. In Ephesians chapter 1, I know I'm throwing a whole bunch of scripture at you today, but it's good. Receive it. Ephesians 1, verse 11, in him, in Christ, we were also chosen. You were chosen, just like David was chosen. You've been chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity for the purpose of his will. Get this, verse 12, in order that we who were first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise and of his glory. And you were also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, which I just unpacked a little bit before, that we've been saved, we've been redeemed through the work, the blood, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You were also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal. You were marked with a seal the promised Holy Spirit. You've received a seal, the presence, the power, the anointing of the Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. If you are in Christ, you have received the seal of the Holy Spirit. 
which is a guarantee for what you've been called to in this life and called to in the next life, and you have been given a purpose. You have been anointed, anointed by the Holy Spirit, and you have been given a purpose for the praise of his glory. Every one of us has the purpose of bringing glory and praise and honor to the name of Jesus wherever you go. You've been appointed. We've been appointed. I wasn't going to share this, but I just know, and it came out of just a, as I was, a, as we were just away last weekend at, at Christmas Creek, and uh, on the, as we were looking at, and I'm going to read a bit of this psalm in a moment, but Psalm 23, I just felt like God said, God has anointed and appointed us as a church. We've been anointed and appointed as a church to be bring praise of his glory into the city of Brisbane. And we haven't even scratched the surface yet. There is so much more that God has to do in us. Here's the good news. If you are in Christ, you've been anointed. Will you receive that? Will you receive that afresh this morning? Will you take hold of that truth afresh this morning? You have been anointed and you have been appointed in Christ. And here's where I want to land because I reckon that excites our hearts, right? Our hearts, we respond to that. But here's the thing, there's, a, there's often a season between the anointing and the appointing. There's often a season between the anointing and the appointing. What happens to David after this amazing moment where he's standing in front of his brothers and he's anointed by Samuel? See, you're king, this this teenager. You're going to be the next king of Israel. What does he do? Does he walk away going, who the man, I the man, who the man, I the man. I'm the next king. He doesn't go, right, that's it. I'm going to Jerusalem now. Let's go. I'm going to step on that throne. I've been anointed by Samuel. The Holy Spirit is upon me. Let's do this thing. It's not what happens. David goes back to looking after the sheep. He goes back to tending the flock. Now, I don't know what the, the wrestle was for David is, again, he's this youngest kid, we do know, we'll look at this next week, he still gets bullied, still gets put down, still needs to put his life on the line for those sheep when the bears and the lions attack. David goes back to the sheep. That's his throne, just some rock somewhere underneath the stars, holding a staff. But it's not lost or a missed opportunity for David. He continues to seek after the heart of God. I reckon it's in those moments and those times that his heart is lifted up as he's received the presence and the power of the Spirit that God is just speaking to him in those, in those quiet moments, in those isolating moments, in those lonely moments when he's out there. He's not quite sure how it's all going to work. He's asking lots of questions. He's still living in this place, but he's, he's seeking God, saying, God, will you speak to me? God, will you fill me? 
I reckon it was in those moments that, that God strengthened his heart. God spoke to his heart. And I reckon he wrote a whole bunch of songs out there. Because come on, let's be honest. The best songs are written when you're isolated and lonely and sad. That's why the Brits are so good at writing songs. Sorry. We read this psalm that we read last weekend, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You can imagine as he sat out there just wrestling with this, 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 this period, this gray zone between anoint, uh, anointing and appointing. And he's learning about the nature and the character of God. He's learning about who he is. And he writes, I love this, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I wonder whether you're here today. And maybe you've been a person of faith 50 years, 60 years. Maybe you've been a person of faith six months. I don't know your story. But you feel like God called you at some point. There was an, there was an anointing. Maybe someone prayed for you and maybe just in the depths of your heart you knew that God was calling you to something. But that, that anointing has not led yet to an appointing. You haven't yet stepped into that thing that you believe God has called you to. You're in the in-between season, the walking in-between season, the outlooking after the sheep season. I remember when uh, I was a young worship leader I've shared this story before I didn't I didn't grow up playing an instrument or singing I couldn't sing in tune at church shine Jesus shine was just a killer for me way too high but I remember picking up a guitar one day uh, when I was at university and I don't know economics was really boring or really hard or both and playing a G chord was way more attractive and I remember starting to, to learn guitar and shared the story before. Started to lead worship in youth group and then started to lead worship in church. And I remember there was a distinct moment, another one of these seminal moments, like I shared before, where I, I, was, at a, I was at a camp, a young adults camp, and I was, there was just the presence of God you know, amongst, amongst us. And in an afternoon when everybody else went to play sport or go to the beach or whatever they did, I remember sitting on a, just on top of a hill overlooking the landscape, overlooking the beach. And I, I can't remember whether, I think I had my Bible in my hand and the guitar next to me. And I remember praying, God, all I want to do is lead worship. I'd love to, to travel the world, go to nations, write songs and lead worship. And that was, a, that was a deep cry and prayer in my heart. And, and in that season, people were praying that. I just felt like that's what God had for me. I can't remember whether I was still at university, whether I'd started full-time work. But there was then a season of refining and working and growing and frustration to the point then when 
out of nowhere it felt like and, and delay and delay and frustration. We're out of the blue where I didn't even see it. God invited me in to a place where I got to travel the world, got to study theology, write songs and lead worship full time. But in between, there was a lot of frustration. There was a lot of waiting. There was a lot of me wanting to grab hold of things. I had to trust God in that season. And there have been plenty of other seasons like that for me. Maybe you're in a season right now where you feel like God, you know God has called you. We're all called. As I've said before, there's a great joy in that. But even for you right now, there's more. There's something more for you. But you haven't yet stepped into it. And so you're in this season of, of waiting. I'd love to pray for you. I'm going to create your space in a moment in worship for you just to receive encouragement and prayer. And I encourage us to do that. Uh, to, to be blessed in that to find solace and strength in that afresh this morning. But I think just a couple of things. Don't waste this time. Just some practical things. Don't waste this time. Keep trusting God. Keep trusting God in what He has called you to. Keep trusting God in the ways in which He has led you. And here's the thing. Be like David. Remain a person after God's own heart. Remain humble. Remain teachable. Don't disappear. Keep your hand to the plow. Keep walking and working with God because it's this season that God is actually going to do a significant and profound foundational work in your life. Be a person who's after God's heart. Keep going. Keep pursuing God. You have no idea where he will lead you when you look to him and when you trust him. I wonder whether we can stand in this place. I'm just going to invite us to be still for a moment. Maybe just uh, close your eyes and just allow God to speak. He sees your heart. Oh, just as I'm as I'm looking out at over you guys now. Just feel like God wants to say, I see your heart. I reckon, that, I reckon there's some of you here and you've carried, you've carried things in your heart a long time and there's, there's disappointment. There's discouragement. 
maybe you've discounted yourself over the time. And just in this place, I know it's going to sound weird, but you just need to say, God, here's my heart. God, here's my heart again. Here's my heart. God, here's my heart. I'm tired, I'm weary, I'm discouraged. I, I packed it in years ago. God sees your heart. I reckon for some of you as well, there have been words that have been spoken over you. And you, you, you just know when I was, I was sharing before, those words from family, from parents, from friends, from colleagues, whatever it is, they, they have they've been wounds in your heart that have stopped you from stepping out. And God today wants to speak a new truth into your life. My prayer today is that you will not walk out under those curses anymore. That, that they will be dealt with today. There will be freedom in this place. I wonder whether we can... Um, can we just get that? We got a prayer team, um, Jen, I think. And I just want to, as we do, we got a team that's just going to stand down the front and up the back. And we get the worship team to come. And we're just going to sing. And it's going to be just a gentle space. We're going to sing the songs of Psalm 23, the goodness of God. Your goodness is running after me. And just as we worship, receive. But I just encourage you. Whether it's going to the back and seeing our prayer team at the back, they've got the badges on, or coming down to the front. To say, I need encouragement today. I need my heart encouraged today. Don't let pride get in the way. We're a family here. We don't need to live with masks. Just, just come and say, oh, just in, I need encouragement. I want my heart to be encouraged today. So as we worship, just come and receive prayer, receive blessing from the team down the front, down the back. Come on, team, let's begin to sing. Let's begin to worship. Let's allow our hearts to be refreshed and renewed but the God who has anointed us, who loves us and sees us and empowers us. Oh God, you're so good. Hey, I just, I, I just can't shake this, uh, this, this, this feeling, this thought that there are some here who are just still living under condemnation from words, words of the past that have become curses. And just at every time you seek to step out those words are so powerful that they stop you. And God has freedom for you today. Don't miss it. Please don't miss it. Because God has so much for you. And He wants to use you. And the enemy is just pinning you down through condemnation and through the words that have been spoken of your life. Please, please, please. Please just grab someone. Come see the team. Grab someone you know and you trust and say, hey, these are the words. There is something powerful when, when truth, when, 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 when things are revealed and truth is able to speak in, speak in and you need to reveal. 
You need to create that room for those false words to come out so truth can come in. Please, please take the opportunity this morning. He is a good God. He is so good. He's so kind. He's so loving. And it's His love that transforms your heart and my heart. Receive it today. Receive His love and His grace. Receive His anointing and His peace. Can let me pray and we'll finish. Father God, we just do. Today we receive it. God, thank you that in Christ we are chosen. Thank you that in Christ we are filled with His Spirit. And we thank you that in Christ you have given us a great purpose to bring glory and praise to your name in our city, in our workplaces, in our families, in our universities, in our schools, wherever we go. And God, I pray that you will fill us with a new conviction, that you'll strengthen weak hands and weak hearts today, because God, you are greater than our heart. And I pray that we will know that afresh today. Pour out your grace and your power. You are so good and we love you and we worship you. It's in the mighty name of Jesus and everybody said, amen, amen. May you know his presence and his power as you go from this place. Go uh, in the conviction and the authority that Jesus speaks over your life. Hey, come forward if you want to receive prayer. The team are just going to continue to play and sing over us as we finish today. Do go and receive prayer. Connect with someone. Sit with someone. Share. Open up and receive the grace of His goodness. Come on. We hope you've been blessed by this message. We are a growing family and we'd love to see you at one of our Sunday services because everyone who comes through our doors is welcome. You can find out more about our community and locations at gatewaybaptist.com.au. 